starting with the Denver Nuggets, who had a pretty great season last year before faltering in the playoffs. I kind of love the Nuggets this year. They have a ton of pieces, um, and I think they can going to convert some of those assets for a championship push before the trade deadline. That is, the squad we see right now will not be the squad that ends the season. Um, how far can these guys go? Far. <laughs> Very far. Um, well, they they went kind of far um, last playoffs anyways. Um, yeah, I like the Nuggets. I like their team. Uh, I think this season will be a real referendum on depth in the NBA because uh, especially in the Western Conference, there's a stark contrast between the teams that have massive amounts of depth, say like uh, the New Orleans Pelicans, uh, like the Denver Nuggets, uh, like the Clippers, like the San Antonio Spurs. And so um, it's interesting because with the Clippers, uh, the Clippers are obviously on the high end of depth and skill and, you Fun know, and talent. Too. Yeah. Projected wins. They're 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 way up there. Um, and so their depth is kind of like, you know, world ending. You know, the game's over in the third quarter because Lou Williams and Montrez, Montrez Harrell just killed you uh, in their second unit. But for teams like San Antonio who don't have as much top end talent, their depth, I think, uh, or they would believe, and, you know, many people, many other people would also believe that that's what's going to allow them to get in the playoffs. So I think Denver is in the middle of those two things because they obviously have Jokic, who is a, you know, all NBA player, Murray, who's a, on the rise. So they have a bit of top end talent, but they also have quality depth. And so I think they're sort of safe from missing the playoffs, I think, maybe. I think they're pretty safe from missing the playoffs. I'm curious think pretty, to think. I think they're pretty safe for finishing in the top four. Yeah, I think that I no. think, I think it would yeah. take a lot of injury I would, and a I, lot of circumstance no, for I them to not finish agree. even this in is, the top four. It's a top end team in the West. What I'm curious about is can they take some of that depth? Plumley, Millsap, Michael Porter Jr., Beasley, Hernan Gomez, um, Morris, Harris. Beasley, like, is uh, is uh, they're going to be a package of three of those guys that brings back something? So a significant piece, a top end piece. You know, a lot of the discussion for the Nuggets was was around the idea that they were one of the best teams to try to make a trade for Beal before, of course, he re-signed um, with the, or, you know, extended um, with the Wizards. And I never quite saw that as the direction that they would go, partially because I believe in Gary Harris, and I think that he's a, a really good pairing with, um, with uh, um, Jamal Murray. And... I think when you have that kind of player, and, and I should say this as I believe that Gary Harris could be the starting shooting guard on a championship team. So you see bounce back for Harris this year. I do. I I think that Harris is a, is a really solid player, and I do I think that he would have to have a lot around him to be the starting shooting guard on a championship team, probably. Um, but he does a super already. solid piece. Yes, though. really solid piece, and it looks like. You know, the, the positions of greatest need for them are power forward and small forward. And yeah. they have a lot of movable pieces in those areas, um, with, with, you know, especially with, when you're talking about the, the salaries of Millsap, 30 million this year, 30.5, and Plumlee um, at 14 million. Um, that could potentially open up, you know, do I think that they're actually going to trade Millsap when, you know, he agreed to, to, to stick around? Um, 
Probably not. I don't know if it would be a great look to other NBA not players. Great trying, yeah, you know, they, they have a, they have a hard <laughs> enough time bringing in, um, you know, bringing in free agents. I don't know that um, trading somebody who did come there um, in that way, uh, right at the point when you're um, on the cusp of doing something pretty great, um, would be a, a, a good look. But um, it's really interesting to think about. I mean, it's really interesting to think about where they could go with that. And you you raise a question about the three. So, you know, there's kind of a log jam there. Will, will, will Barton have a bounce back is another question. But we also have Michael Porter Jr., who showed some pretty great flashes this summer. He's out of the rotation. And he's not in the rotation yet, or right now. Um, we have Hernan Gomez, who they want to give a chance. We have Tory Craig, um, who plays to the position sometimes as well, who had a decent run in the playoffs. So that's four guys. How does this position play out, and do any of those pieces become valuable enough to move for that top-end piece? So, I mean, I, I guess I want to go back to the idea of the trade for Gary Harris and Bradley Beal. So I think I would disagree. I think I would say that I think Bradley Beal's probably better than both um, – Gary Harris and Jamal Murray and so when you're trading for a guy like Bradley Beal you're not just trading for like the position of shooting guard you're you're trading for your primary ball handler primary playmaker you know in the crunch sort of player like the the Nuggets lost against the Trailblazers in large part because they didn't really have that person because Jamal Murray was in and out you know it was one good game where Jamal Murray had 30 and the next game he had 11 on like four of 16 shooting or something like that so I think we've seen, you know, Bradley Beal carry in, you know, quotation marks, a terrible uh, Wizards offense to like competence last season. And I just think his like pick and roll ability and just general verb and just shooting is much better than Gary Harris. So I think that's what I would say there. But I, I it doesn't really matter now because Bradley Beal can't uh, be traded until the summer. So they can't make that specific trade this year. But I think I think they should. I think. If they want to win a championship, I don't know if they can win a championship as the team is currently constructed. I should say, I think there's a, I had a little bit of revisionist history going on, mainly because I want to be optimistic for the Nuggets. I don't, um, I would never dispute that Gary Harris is, you know, a far lesser player than Bradley Beal. And if the Nuggets have been able to get Bradley Beal, they put themselves into, they, they put themselves into a legitimate conversation as a championship contending team, even with the other great teams that were constructed this year. But once Beal extends, um, it's moot. And it just seems that, that you know now, as I'm looking at it, shooting guard is not the, the position of greatest need for them. Um, and... You know, it really gets accentuated when that sort of top-end shooting guard talent isn't there. And if we're talking about what they could potentially do this year, it seems that those two forward positions are the positions of greatest need and the positions of greatest opportunity. And they happen to also be the positions of the, the highest expiring contracts that they could then flip for something that could be more valuable to them this year and in the future. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, I mean, I think what we're talking about raises some interesting questions about like the importance of position. So I think, I think you're right to say that shooting guard now is like not the position of greatest need. I think wing, sort of wing scorer, and also wing stopper. And obviously, you're not going to get that 
in one player because the players that give you the players that give you both of those things on both sides of the ball are hall of famers and they're all wrapped up on teams in la uh in new york and one of them's injured uh in kevin durant so they're not gonna find that necessarily but like for example i've heard bantered around it's very unlikely but let's say iguodala had a soft spot in his heart for denver and he wanted to go back to denver i think that would drastically or at least significantly increase their ability to win a championship because now they have someone who they can throw on those uh, best wing scores for the other teams. Um, and considering that the Grizz aren't just going to give them up, they're a team that can actually Yeah, they have throw, things to trade. Yeah, they have assets they can throw in their direction. But yeah, and, and I think to your point, you said there's like an open competition for the three spot. I mean, I think the competition is really Will Barton um, – and Malik Beasley. So I think uh, Mike Malone's been saying all of the preseason and the early season that that he sees Malik Beasley as a two and not a three. But Malik Beasley, I think, was like uh, 60% true shooting last year. He shot the ball really well. And, you know, when things get bogged down, it would be great to have another guy out there who can knock down a three. And I think he's a much better shooter than Will Barton. Um, and it's only we're only two games in, but I think last game in their game against the Suns, um, Malik Beasley was playing some three minutes so I feel like that's a good question um but I don't I don't think we necessarily have to give up on Michael Porter Jr. because Michael Porter Jr. I think the three and the four are the two positions yeah the three and the four the two positions where it seems like their backups are almost better or more important than their starters well and we neglected to mention I neglected to mention Jeremy Grant who is also a hybrid three four there Great defender, um, wonderful in a points punt for your fantasy team uh, if you can get him. You can't in our league because the, the drafting's insane. But, um, you, you know, they do have offensive threes and defensive threes. Mm-hmm. Like they get, but they don't have, as you pointed yeah. out, Jalen, they don't have one guy that does both. And, you know, Malik Beasley, he's being tossed around a lot as a player who's not going to get the opportunity that potentially he deserves in Mm -hmm. the NBA on this team because Mm -hmm. of the depth that they do have. And so you have the opportunity where the Nuggets could dangle him for, say, picks that could then be assets that they could use in another trade to bring back the kind of, you know, you know, wing player that they need. Yeah, I think they have a bunch of different assets that they can move in that way. It's just not clear what they'll be or how this is going to shake out yet. Yeah, um, I think Beasley is like like you said a prime trade candidate, and and I almost feel like in order for the Nuggets to reach their ceiling without a trade, they're going to need Jeremy Grant to like hit his peak, not only shoot the three well, but kind of be a um, sit in the dunker spot and catch lobs from Jokic when teams sort of double or give him too much attention. I think they're going to need dynamic performances from Jeremy Grant and Will Barton. And Will Barton is really interesting because he's sort of an additional playmaker. He's like a third playmaker, but he's probably not as good at it as Jamal Murray and obviously not as good at it as Jokic. So the the question becomes, uh, do we need a third playmaker who's like at the same level or below our best playmakers? Um, so, so it becomes a question. I mean, I think building a team for them, we're talking about positions, but like say, for example, what if Chris Paul was traded to this team, which would never happen because they're not going to take on that contract more than likely. But now you've got Chris Paul running the point. Jamal Murray gets to be basically a pure shooting guard, shoot the three attack closeouts, um, attack, you know, second side pick and rolls with more of an advantage. And then you've got another shooter. Chris Paul's a great shooter. Jokic is out there 
throwing passes. Now Gary Harris has less responsibility if he is, if they want to play small and put him at the three. So, I mean, I don't even I don't know, know if, if they'd be able to play small with Chris Paul and Jamal Murray as your backcourt, which is one of the things as soon as you said well, it, well, that, I, that think I, Jamer- I think Murray's tall. He's not strong, but I think he's tall. He's not as big as, as today's shooting guards are. How tall do you think he is? 6'4". Just I mean, guess. today's <laughs> shooting guards are, are a bad, and like everyone's everyone's shorter. <laughs> everyone just shrunk. Remember, <laughs> everyone shrunk, and fair enough. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah he's six four. Okay, um, and I, I think the other thing, sort of uh, adding on to what you're saying, Jalen, is does Jamal Murray play up to his contract? He has a big new contract. He was great um, in some of the playoff run. I'd love to see that carry over to this season. Yeah, um, and I think for the Nuggets, you talked about this, Kyle. They they kind of have a motto, we take care of our own. If you come here, you'll get paid. And I so I think it was natural that they sort of locked him up immediately, gave him the full five-year max. And I do think they're paying for potential. I don't think he's a max five-year max player yet. He hasn't shown that. He certainly has the ability. There's hope and talk of him having a 50-40-90 season, which is possible. But I think he's like a career 36% three-point shooter. So, um, yeah, so he can certainly, I believe he certainly has the potential to live up to that, but they're paying for potential. Yeah, and and I like what you said. The Nuggets start taking care of their players. Another team that takes care of their players and has to take care of the players because of where they're located in the Northwest is the Portland Trailblazers. The Trailblazers had a kind – I liked their run in the playoffs last year. I liked those first two series. I liked the way Dame took control, especially in that first one until just the gas ran out. Not sure quite what happened to him in the end there where McCollum was taking over. Um, but they were fun to watch. And um, what I'm wondering – or what I'm seeing here is the Trailblazers basically running back the same lineup, but they've exchanged their threes and fours. How do you guys see that working out? So Harkless is gone, Amino is gone, two key starters in or with a bigger role is going to be Hood, um, Collins, Bazemore, Tolliver. How's that work? Well, they're going to have to figure out something because they just extended both Lillard and McCollum um, at absolutely huge numbers. Um, going for for um, Lillard all the way to 24, 25 with a final year contract of $54 million, 54 and a quarter. I'm glad um, he got paid. Yeah, yeah. And uh, McCollum um, similarly getting paid up to $35.8 million in the 23-24 season. And um, I mean, to respond to the the question, um, who is specifically, who is the three and the four at the end of the season, or at the I mean, and at the end or of the, the mid, and or at the end of the two game weeks. too is the, is <laughs> yeah, the key any thing. Any of it, pick it. Um, <laughs> hopefully, someone not on the roster right now. You don't like Collins. Uh, for the four, um, for the I four. mean, if we're talking okay. about the, yeah, I, the four, I could see. I like Collins. I think yeah. he can develop. I see that coming. I'm wary of Hood um, at the three. Um, I actually thought he showed, you know, flashes in the playoffs last really year, did. and there were some moments when he was a, a, you know, a difference maker when they needed offense. He seemed comfortable in a way I hadn't seen him look in a couple of years. Easy. Yeah, I mean, he's primarily taking those, you know, the the like highly inefficient mid range shots, but he was hitting them at a time when you know they just needed to put points on the board. 
Do you see anybody coming out at the three besides Hood? Does Bazemore play up? Um, uh, does Hazonia show up? I think Bazemore is pretty limited, and I don't know that he's much of an upgrade over Hood. Um, he is on defense. Um, I don't think that he gives you enough on offense to really move the needle. Um, but they don't really need their three to score all that much. Um, I mean, that's what true McCollum and, and Lillard do. And if they're anything like what they were last year, um, Stotts is going to play Lillard and McCollum most of their minutes together to, to maximize their potential when they're on the court. And um, and then you're looking, you know, and that's one of the reasons why you can see Hood potentially playing pretty well because he then um, becomes a, a, you know, primary secondary scoring option um, on a bench unit when both of them, both Lillard and McCollum, are off the floor. Right. So the, the other new player here, um, and this is uh, uh, after Nurkic's terrible injury last year, is Whiteside. I like that they brought him in. Uh, we've seen him, I think, through two games so far, and he is feasting. Jalen, what do you think of that fit there? And do we get Nurkic back? So, I mean, we, we talked about this off, off air. Um, contract year Hassan Whiteside is a whole different player than non-contract year Hassan Whiteside. So that's something that I think the, trailbla- the Trailblazers probably were aware of, the fact that he yeah. kind of has to make good and play nice in order to get paid. Um, and also he has a relationship with Dame, and I know there's been some articles written about that. So hopefully, and McCollum apparently, yeah. So hopefully, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of respect for Lillard's um, team building and leadership. So I think that's sort of what they're banking on. Um, so, I mean, I'm a Heat fan. I watched us on Whiteside, and the Heat were sort of excited. Uh, happy, ready to move on from for Hassan from Hassan Whiteside, even though he is sort of uh, he's an extremely impressive shot blocker. He's just big, you know. So I think he fits perfectly in the Blazers system. They like to drop their bigs back and funnel everything towards the big, so they're just waiting for them at the rim. So being big is becomes a skill set in their system. Um, he can gobble up rebounds. He can block shots. They're not going to ask him to get out there and switch on guard. So I think. It's a match made in in heaven in terms of their scheme uh, in that respect. Uh, But, I mean, you kind of always have to be aware aware of, like, lapses in concentration and and effort and those sorts of things from Whiteside. So I'm a little nervous about it. It's going well so far. I don't suspect that there'll be any massive blow-up, but I don't know if they'll be completely satisfied with the return on investment. Um, and I would be surprised to see Nurkic play this year. You know, I mean, that's just kind of what I've read a little bit from early indications. Um, it was an ugly injury. Yeah, yeah. And I think before we move on, I think the only thing I wanted to say about sort of the 3-4 conversation, conversation is that the Blazers sort of made a bet and made a, a calculus that they might potentially be worse in the regular season in order to be more potent in the postseason. So they had Aminu, who's a good defensive player. They had Harkless, who we're seeing is a good defensive player with the Clippers. The problem was those guys couldn't shoot. And every time they played the Warriors in the playoffs, they turned Draymond Green into an even better defensive player because Draymond (laughs) got to just completely roam around, ignore those guys, muck up uh, all of Lillard and McCollum's drives, give help where it was needed, um, and then he could close out back to them or someone else could close out like – 
he just ruined the the Portland Trail Blazers offense by leaving those guys alone and they couldn't make enough threes to make uh, the Warriors pay or really any other team right. uh, in the playoffs. So they decided, well, we're going to have offensive threes who are probably twos in like another era or like just five years ago in Rodney Hood and Kent Bazemore. They've got Zach Collins, who's probably a five is his best position. So they definitely made a calculus and I'm a little nervous about it because it seemed like they did the opposite of what they normally do, which is sort of stand pat. You know, they made a slight shift. They obviously didn't blow it up. They they re-signed their guys, but they did make a shift. They did make a calculus. So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, the the other player uh, that we haven't talked about who will um, be key, I think, if the Trailblazers are going to make any sort of run here is Anfernee. And does he have a breakout year this year? Or is he not quite ready? I mean, we can talk about him first in terms of fantasy um, to give a, a sense of where I think he is. I don't think that he's in um, a legitimate fantasy player this year. Um, he's on my watch list, but I'm not. I, he him is. Up. I think he is talent wise. Um, I think that he's going to have limited opportunity, um, and the NBA is such a feel game um, that a lot of times for players getting minimal minutes as you would if you're a shooting guard um, uh, you know or a guard in, in general um, on the blazers backing up those those two dominant guards um, is going to mean not getting that rhythm um, and so I don't know I mean Blazers are very, very high on him. I tend to be lower on players who don't get adequate opportunity to transform their game. Um, I like to be wrong for their sake, and so I can swoop onto the the free agent pool and pick up a player. I'm desperately in need of a shooting guard on my team. Desperately, desperately in need of a shooting guard. Would I have like one. Kevin Herter? I have one rosterable shooting guard on my team because it was not a priority in the draft. I'll take Kobe White off your hands. Kobe White is a point guard and only a point guard. I'm hoping he but gets. But I've some, got Josh get Richardson. I think he should I get doubt. the. I think he should get the second designation. But Yahoo, Yahoo honestly seems um, they're a bit stingier with their um, with their multiple um, position designations for players. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you. I just noticed that at the beginning of the season, a lot of players' designations fell off the. You know, fell off the. The player marker. Yeah, a lot less flexibility this year than last year for whatever reason. Yeah, so last thing on Simons, I think you pegged it perfectly to say he's on your watch list because I think that's where he should be for everyone. Um, I think the track record in Portland is that third-year bench players in Portland really pop, and so this is, I think, year two for him. So maybe we're a year early. Um, You know, a previous example of that would be someone like Jake Lehman, who kind of really came into his own and now is is on the Timberwolves. So you might be a year early, but definitely monitor him throughout the season to see if he gets it. He he puts it together. I'm watching Anthony and I'm also watching how that three and four shake out to see if somebody becomes dominant there that isn't on a team right now they could be one of the guys waiting in the wings who takes the role yeah and and they also i think uh are a team that could make a trade too definitely yeah they have a bunch of pieces that could be useful to other teams all right we're moving on now to the utah jazz a team where in which i love their offseason moves i love Conley at the point guard i love uh, their pickups of Jeff Green and Ed Davis, um, quiet uh, big men who are very productive. Um, I like Bohan for his shooting there. Um, I like Ingles moving into the second unit for secondary playmaking there. 
I really like this team. They looked terrible last night. Conley's been rough so far. You know, a favorite player of mine for a long time. I still think this is the best shot that Utah Jazz have had since Stockton and Malone. But how far do we go here with that lineup? Is this going to work? Early returns are not great. Yeah, no, <laughs> not at all. Uh, my tweet from last night was: Someone needs to come and check on the magically animated remains of Mike Conley. <laughs> so yeah, that's how that's how the Utah Jazz offense is uh, yeah. playing out the first two games of the it, season. It looked a little bleak, and you know, I think the teams that have to find their way end up being better. I really do I think, think that something there. something good will come out of this. But he's had. Conley, that is, has had a really abysmal start. I think he started one of 20 from the field. Yeah, it was it was horrendous. But And, and so Conley will never be – I don't know if we'll see another one for 20 for him this year. I kind of doubt that'll happen. Conley's just too good. And one of the things I was thinking here is that with Conley at the point, it unlocks Gobert a little bit, the way um, he always played better when he had Rubio at the point. And I'm wondering if it also opens up some, some things for Mitchell, um, not having to handle the ball quite as much. Um, does that unlock Mitchell? Do we see a jump this year rather than the regression we saw last year? Yeah, so the Jazz the Jazz are interesting. I came into the season, I think, more excited than I usually am for Jazz basketball because mainly because they got Mike Conley and mainly because – I think a lot of teams are shifting. They're not making wholesale changes to their philosophy, but they're certainly shifting. Uh, the Jazz sacrificed depth, a thing that they have built their success on in previous years, and they sacrificed defensive talent, another thing that they've de- uh, built their identity on the past couple seasons for like more up, more upside, more potential. Again, just like the Portland Trailblazers, more offense, potentially more success in the playoffs. Uh, the Jazz have been accused of being a regular season team. You know, they play great right. defense. Uh, they've got a great system. You know, Quinn Snyder, I think his teams run the most handoffs. Um, you know, the ball's always moving. He wants everyone to touch the ball because that means they'll play better on defense. So, you know, they've got all this feel-good stuff and things that you want for your team. But at the end of the day, James Harden's not on this team. Steph Curry's not on this team. LeBron James <laughs> not on this team. There's no there's no top-end talent to take you over the hump. So well, they, they do think that it could be Donovan Mitchell, of course. Certainly. But, like, it hasn't been so far. Right. And, and, it's, I, a lot and he's, it's young. He's young. I'm not saying he can't get there. I'm just saying... That's kind of what it boils down yeah. to. And in it's the a lot to expect of a third year player. Totally, totally. And I mean, I think maybe this, I don't know if we have time to get into this conversation now, but of those guys that went to the FIBA um, World Championships, there is a couple of guys on there who their teams kind of need them to be that guy. So we got Jason Tatum for the Boston Celtics and Donovan Mitchell for the Utah Jazz. And if those guys aren't sort of like top 15, top 25 players, maybe top 20, not even top 25 players in the league. It's going to be tough for them to win a championship without some sort of, you know, major injury to the competition. Yeah, and besides Mitchell, the Jazz had Gobert and Ingles at FIBA too, and I'm like, they have some tired, important players on their team. Yeah, so so that could have something to do with the their slow start to the year. I do think, in terms of fantasy, this is a team full of guys who are like good at, you know legitimate real NBA basketball and would be good in fantasy if they got more opportunities. So I'm thinking of a guy like Royce O'Neal. 
I don't know how much opportunity he's going to get. He is going to play. He was starting, but he's getting thirty minutes. The first yeah, couple of but games. but uh, Bogdanovich is is out. Right. So right. once Bogdanovich comes back, maybe his playing time is cut 25. is cut a little. Yeah. Um, Joe Ingles is coming off the bench. Great shooter. You know, he's going to definitely help your percentages. Um, so yeah, Emmanuel Moutier, I think they like Moutier. They want to I'm sort of buying Moutier. Yeah. I think they, I think they, I think they want to revive his career. I mean, I was watching the, they were playing the Lakers last night and I mean, he lost the ball. He fumbled the ball like four times, but every time he put up a shot, I was like, Oh, this looks good. It looks like it's going in. <laughs> he looked like he was playing really hard too. Like they were, the game was over in the fourth. And he yeah. was still trying to steal the ball in the back court. I mean, yeah. he, like you, you he think of the moment when hard. he, who, who did he trip yesterday? <laughs> he got he got that flagrant. Uh, it flagrant was one. it was Bradley. He tripped Avery Bradley. Yeah. He's playing hard. Let's say. <laughs> oh, and also there was a fun brewing uh, beef between George Nyang and Dwight Howard in that game for some reason. It was the end of the game. The game was already over. LeBron and AD were on the bench. George Yang went to the basket, and Dwight Howard just shouldered him into the the baseline camera crew and got a flagrant foul for it. Very interesting. The Lakers are trying to show up, I guess, because so they I didn't get, the first game. So I guess before we move <laughs> on, what are – well, after watching what the Clippers did to the Warriors, I thought the Lakers actually looked pretty good by comparison. Sure. sure. I don't know how I feel about that one. But um <laughs> what uh what do we what do we think about the about the Jazz as a whole? Do we think they this is the year that they sort of take the step forward, get out of the first round or I guess they got out of the first round when they beat the the Thunder uh, two years ago, I think. But yeah, do we think they can be real players in the Western Conference playoffs? I'm buying here. I'm I'm calling them a top four seed in the West, and I think they do win that first round matchup. I think they come together. They play too hard. Quinn Snyder's too good of a coach. I think this comes together somehow that we're not quite seeing yet. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know who I would put them above to make them a top four team because. As of now, I'm liking Clippers, Lakers, Rockets, Nuggets, and I'm happy to take the Lakers out of that four really, really fast. Yeah, they did just beat the Jazz though. <laughs> Not in the playoffs. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing. Though. Well, you said a top four team, which I assume, which I assume that round. which yeah. I I assume that you meant home court first round. The Lakers looked so terrible. They look even more terrible than the Jazz, even though they beat the Jazz. They are out. Like, <laughs> I wasn't we seeing that. We have the Jazz. We have the Jazz. <laughs> the, the Lakers a were real up, roster anyway, construction. Yeah. The, Lakers the Lakers were up by like fifteen points. The Lakers like, don't even on have and a off the whole game. Guard. Like it's a mess over there. I could see the Lakers. See, like how did we'll get to the Lakers in a yeah. minute? But like, I, yeah, we're talking about the Jazz. <laughs> the Jazz to me, it wasn't. The Jazz to me didn't look good. Yeah, they and don't. they don't. And they're. They're relatively a complete team in the way that the Lakers are relatively a complete team right now. But they're a lot more but a relatively lot, complete. A lot's going to change yes, in in the you know in the you know the way the team comes together. And yeah. I'm you know I'm still waiting for that you know Gobert um, you know Conley game to emerge, and it 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 was not there last night. Kyle, I will bet you my Yahoo winnings. That the Jazz finished the season better than the Lakers against your Yahoo winnings. 
I don't think I'm gonna actually do any more of the Yahoo. But um, <laughs> this talking is, about the daily fantasy stuff. This yeah. is, this is I'm like, great it just, pod content. It just, it just <laughs> takes up too much time. I don't know if I can do it anymore. So I think what uh, what I'll say as a wrap up on the Jazz is the blueprint, the plan uh, for them to be a top four seed and successful in the playoffs is they're they manage to get into the top ten defense or maybe the top six on defense you know you've got Rudy Gobert as an anchor that's what they've uh built their team success on in the past as long as Rudy Gobert is on your team you're probably going to have a top 10 defense so if they can inch that up even further um and really have a dominant defense the way they've had in some previous years they'll probably be fine and then also as we've said um you know Donovan Mitchell there's there's after his game one which he had a great game one I think he had 32 points and like 12 rebounds so maybe Donovan Mitchell this is the year that he steps up and takes a uh, takes a leap in terms of his ability um, and maybe that Mike Conley Rudy Gobert pick and roll and lob game is uh, really potent so I think there is certainly a pathway and like to yeah. split the baby maybe they're the fifth seed fine <laughs> All right, we're going to move on with that uh, hedging point to uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder, who traded away the last of their great three in the offseason, bringing back Chris Paul. I have two Chris Paul questions. You guys can take either one you want. The first Chris Paul question is, will Chris Paul lead the Thunder to the playoffs? The second Chris Paul question is, will Chris Paul interfere with Shea's development? Go. So I came into the season thinking that they might get into the playoffs if they kept the team together, but they don't really have a whole lot of incentive to keep the team together. So I'll say if they keep the team together, they, you know, they're they missing the playoffs. I'll say they missed the playoffs, and I don't think Chris Paul will significantly stunt Shea Gilgis-Alexander's um, growth, and that's a big thing for me to say because I'm not a Chris Paul guy like Kyle is. I was going to say no and no on both of those two. No, uh, Chris Paul doesn't lead them to the playoffs. No, he doesn't stunt his growth. Um, I actually think that he could help. I think that he's, you know, yeah. he sees the game really well. And They um, both have a similar hard-nosed style in a way. Like, I could see them really I also working. think Chris Paul is at a different point in his career after being traded away and kind of probably having to come to grips with the idea that he, he's – never going to compete for a championship again with that contract that he has. And there's going to be a process of, of um, figuring out how he wants to end his career with dignity, you know? Um, And I think that he'll do it. I think that he's going to be a player who will finish out his contract. I think he, you know, um, as um, head of the players association who took that contract and yet um, he, he's never going to want to give it up. Um, And I don't think that he should, um, it, but that basically takes him out of the running to ever be on on a sure. really com- contending team again. Well, and and since we agreed on both of those questions, then I think the next question is: Will Chris Paul, uh, Gallinari, Adams, and Dennis Schroeder will they all be traded by the end of the season and the Thunder pivot into a true rebuild? Uh, I don't think there's any way Gallinari is still in this team. I think his contract, it's expiring. I think it's a lot more movable. And Schroeder, I feel like, was never never a real Thunder guy. He was never a Sam Presti guy, which I think credits to Sam Presti for bringing in people who maybe don't 
who maybe have somewhat of checkered rep- reputations and don't typically fit the thunder culture that they had um and still trying to build a team build a successful team regardless of those sort of fit questions but yeah i mean i think gallinari and Schroeder are pretty likely to get traded as we said chris paul's contract is massive so and I don't think the Thunder want to give up picks to move off his contract. First of all, I think Chris Paul is still pretty good. So part of yeah. me hopes he does get traded so that we get a chance to see him in the playoffs again. Maybe he can, like, you know, win a championship in his old age after he's been dealing with these unfair sort of uh, an unfair reputation of folding in the playoffs, which I don't think is true. And I contend that in 2018, uh, he w- he had a better series than James Harden. He was the reason that they were. Uh, a hamstring injury away from beating the Warriors and not James Harden. So, yeah, I, I'm rooting for him to get wind up on a different team and end up in the playoffs. And, you know, I, I, I'm i not a Chris Paul guy, but he's just so good. He's really good. He plays hard, and I will always respect how hard he plays. And I think that's actually the problem with his playoff performance. He plays at a playoff level all year long. And there's not the jump when you get to the playoffs that we see with some players. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really good point, and I think that's a point people have said before, is that he plays at a playoff level all season long, and then the playoffs get there, and then everyone else is playing at a playoff level, so you know the gaps are a little bit narrower, everything is tighter, um, and also that also might be the reason why he ends up getting injured uh, a lot of times in the playoffs as well, just because he plays so hard in the regular season. So a couple of fantasy notes about the Thunder before we move on. Um, one, you might have gotten a bargain on Chris Paul because of his odd role with the Oklahoma City Thunder. We did it. But not in our draft. No, it's impossible in our draft to get a bargain. Um, and um, one little note, does Terrence Ferguson ever become a viable fantasy player with all his starting minutes there? This is what I was going to say about the reason I didn't think Chris Paul could take him to the playoffs because I just don't their their bench is so shaky. I don't I don't yeah. believe in it at all. Um, Hamadou I mean, Diallo, some of their starters Terrence are pretty Ferguson, shaky. <laughs> um, Dennis Schroeder, all of them are really inefficient shooters, and so it's like after you get outside of, and even you know if Andre Roberson um, gets his gets back to playing <laughs> and is in the starting lineup, th- then you just have more inefficient shooting. shooting players and I I don't I just don't know where you find the value there to yeah turn Only the season in the deepest into, leagues it, I think are you finding value with the Oklahoma City Thunder yeah I mean I think Adams if you're if you need rebounds I mean Adams is a draftable player so you probably drafted him or someone else has him on your team but Russell Westbrook is gone he's gonna rack up tons of rebounds Definitely. I think he's got double digit rebounds in both games so far this season so there's some value yeah, Brian Windhorse right, c- continually wants to say that we're going to see the largest increase in defensive rebounding percentage I would ever. Love to see, I, I would love to see it, and it would it would confirm everybody's suspicions about Russell Westbrook's triple doubles being false. So um, let's it'll be interesting Inflated. to see how that plays out. Um, our last team in the West, the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves. There's no longer Jimmy. Um, there is a, apparently a new culture in place there. Um, does it get the Minnesota Timberwolves into the playoffs? Most projections have them on the outside looking in here. What do they need to do to get there? Well, they need Chris Paul not to lead the 
thunder to the playoffs. That's one of them. They're going to need a couple of other teams <laughs> to also falter. Um, the Spurs, possibly. You know, they need – the biggest issue they have is they need to figure out their wings. Um, Wiggins is, start has started the season – as inefficient as ever. Layman's look terrible, besides. And, and he's taking away possessions and shots from Carl Anthony Towns, who looks transcendent. Um, he looks, looks amazing. Carl Anthony Towns went for $91 in our league. The next highest player, I think, was Anthony Davis at 75 I still don't think it was a bad pick. I think that he's... He's been that good, and while it might have been comparatively a li- little bit of an overpay um, from um, Anthony Davis, I think the big issue was that Anthony Davis didn't go high enough, um, and, and Carl Anthony agree. Towns is that good. Completely agree. Anthony Davis didn't go high enough, but Carl Anthony Towns is valuable at that price point, and we're seeing a fuller line from him than we've ever, ever seen. As huge as his lines already were, they're even better, and I see it continuing. In this week's episode of Small Sample Size Theater, Carl Anthony <laughs> Towns has 36, is averaging 36.5 points, um, 14 and a half rebounds, 5 and a half assists, 3 and a half steals, and 2 and a half blocks. He has oh. more assists than some starting point guards. Oh, he's also shooting 61% from three. Huh, that's pretty good, right? <laughs> he's shooting better from three than he is from two. He's shooting 59% <laughs> from two. So, I mean, if you... He needs to work on his twos. If the, if the fantasy playoffs were now or you'd just, you'd just walk away with victory. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> um, so, yeah, he, he'll come down, obviously, but... I would he like to he see looks he looks to me like he's going to be the top fantasy player, and in that sense also, and, and especially if the the Wolves can make the playoffs this year, I think that he could be in the conversation as a legitimate, real life, most valuable player in the NBA. Yeah, he so, seems he seems to have taken a jump. I mean, I think the steals are an indicator, and I think yeah. um, early indications are maybe there was a bit of a shift in uh, defensive scheme and system, and it's benefiting him, and he yep. doesn't have as much responsibility. So I think that's paying off. Uh, I also saw some uh, – I read some articles about him working on a three-point shot, and he's already pulled out like a jab-step jab step, step-back three-pointer. Um, so, I mean, we're looking at sort of a jump that, as you said, will put him in the MVP conversation. Definitely. So as great as Cat has been, poor Teague at the point guard has been absolutely terrible. Luckily, uh, Shabazz Napier has been pretty good as his backup. What happens at the one with the Wolves? So a lot of people, you know, are trying to dis- disabuse us of the idea that contract years matter. And we, we've had instances already where we're talking about Whiteside, where we're thinking that maybe the contract year is bringing out the best in him. Maybe this is the, uh, the counterexample. Um, Teague has not uh, lived up to his um, contract year hype, um, and they need him. They, they, you know, Shabazz is a – Shabazz Napier is a good – backup point guard he is not a starting shooting guard in the nba um, and i don't really ever expect him to be one he did show interesting flashes with the nets last season i don't know how consistent he can be at that level but there and we we've seen a little of it so far uh and this year already too 
But um, I do wonder to some extent if some of Kat's assists are being taken from Teague. Um, yeah, I'm a Shabazz fan, heart over height, short people stand up, <laughs> short people matter too. Um, he's a really good player. I mean, he he's great with the ball. He's great at manipulating the ball. His ball handling skills are good. He's a good passer. Um, I feel like he's maximized his ability given like his limitations in size. Um, but I wanted to ask you guys, um, I think Michael Covington's on your fantasy team, yeah. right? How's he doing this year? Uh, he's had a bit of a slow start, but I still like Covington there. He's a guy who just plays too hard to not bring it back together. He's always been a touching consistent on the offensive side. On the defensive side, he's just an unbelievable player. And I think it's some of what we're seeing in the release of Cat's defensive duties. Some of them are being shifted to Covington in that new scheme. And I think that's part of why that end of it's working a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think this is another team that has a bit of a battle at the small forward position. Uh, Trevion Graham seems to be starting to open the season. But Josh Okogie, I think, has more long-term potential, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I think Graham is a good defender, but Okogie has the athleticism to be a really impactful defender. I think he's got a steal or two in each of the first two games of the season. So, I I mean, I would would definitely put... I think Culver's their their long-term small forward, and Okogie's... I think Culver's a, a two. I think Culver's. I think a two. it's actually the reverse. I think that Akogi is the is their shooting guard, and Culver would be their their small forward. Um, I can try to get some exact heights on this, but um, you know, Akogi's. I think six I think based four. on I think based on game though, Culver's a much better shooter and has a much better track record as a shooter and playmaker, and so I think Akogi yeah. profiles better as just sort of a stand yeah. in the quarter, yeah. make knock shoot. Uh, catch and shoot threes and defend the other team's yeah. best player. Well, he'll definitely Akogi need... isn't a great shooter yet. Yeah, he's he isn't. He isn't. I'm just saying that's yeah. like what he needs to be. Kogi would need someone like Culver on the floor who's bigger, yeah. who could take the the, def- the the other team's three. Um, and Culver is six foot seven. Well, yeah, which is less... which is shooting guard size. But as we've been saying, like a lot of shooting guards are now small forwards in the NBA. But I can see either of those guys taking minutes from Jake Lehman, who's currently in the starting lineup and yeah. has been weak as hell. Yeah, so I think um I think um like Lehman Lehman is a quality player, as we talked about. He grew uh with the Trailblazers, but I just think for long term, as we've been saying, Culver and Okogi, they have more defensive upside. So like Okogi could be like probably the second best defender uh, he might be the second best defender on the team already after Covington uh if we like exclude Cat since we're kind of figuring out what Cat is for the first time this season so I feel like for the future yeah. especially if they trade Andrew Wiggins like I could just very easily see a Kogi and Col- and Culver sort of shifting into that starting do lineup. we think that anyone would trade for Wiggins without attaching another piece a pick something yeah, I'm you, almost I'm almost wondering if someone would trade for him with a pick. I think you because he has three more. I'm sorry, he has four more years. I mean, it's a big uh, contract. I think it's too big. Three of more a, years after this, I'm sorry. I think it's too big of a contract for teams to trade for it immediately. But I do think someone would do it if there's um, assets attached to it, picks attached to it. So this is a bad example because of the length of the contract. But think of someone like Rudy Gay who kind of had a similar reputation to Andrew Wiggins as an empty stats guy, as a wing player, a three who just kind of dribble jab, jab stepped and jacked away in the mid range to no effect. Um, So I feel like that's what Wiggins is. 
uh, to some degree. And so the Spurs kind of revived his career. This was like post, I think, Achilles injury. And like maybe he had learned his lesson and was at a different point in his career. But I mean, you know, top picks with who are as good of athletes as Andrew Wiggins, they tend to like if they can learn how to shoot well, they can last in the league for a long time. And also that sort of athleticism and pedigree is enticing to teams. Yeah. I mean, one of the differences, Gay played defense in San Antonio. Mm -hmm. Will Wiggins play defense anywhere? Yeah. I mean, yeah, at this point, it might be a question of can he? Because, I mean, the athletic tools are there, but maybe just like the awareness (laughs) uh, on that side of the ball just doesn't seem to be there. I also think that Rudy Gay was sort of post big contracts at, yeah. by, the, by the time that he got to the Spurs and you know he's on a he's on I don't know if he's on a two-year but he's finishing he's got two years left at 14 million a piece which is considerably different from the you know upwards yeah. of 30 that, <laughs> yeah. that you're looking at Wiggins getting yeah but okay let's say let's say the Knicks continue to be awful and they're and they're like not you know their rebuild hasn't had success right if you if you're getting expiring contract Andrew Wiggins like that's not a it's a it's a big one year uh, payout, but like he has to prove it because basically after this contract, Andrew Wiggins is probably not going to make nearly as much money as he made on this contract. So Never like again. so getting expiring contract Andrew Wiggins wouldn't be the worst thing is is what I'm saying. But you're right. But when would they get expiring contract at Andrew Wiggins? I mean later on down the line in the contract. He, it's a four year contract, right? Season. It's already yeah. started, so he's only got how many how many years left does he have on the contract? This one and two three more. after this year. Okay, yeah. yeah so final year of that contract is what I'm saying. Got it. Which might line up with when uh, they could be truly great. <laughs> yeah. All right, that was the Northwest. We are turning off the phantom power. <laughs>